0: And if you've never made a mistake, (laughs) you ought to try having one sometime. (laughs) In fact, if you've never sung standing up here looking out there, you ought to try that sometime. And you might feel like, boy, anybody makes a mistake, I'm just glad they're doing it, and I'm not. You know, they say that public speaking or appearing before a crowd is one of the things that people fear more than anything else. And I think it's probably true. I've been preaching for over 40 years, and I still had not got rid of all the butterflies (laughs) yet. And, uh, and you folks make me nervous. I mean, look, look in the mirror and you'll see why. <laughs> Matthew chapter 11 and verse number 28. It's good to have a good time in the Lord, isn't it? And be able to smile a little while and give your face a rest. We used to sing that song a little bit. Smile a while and give your face a rest. It know, something like that. See, I can't sing either, so <clears throat> but it's okay. Some of you think he can't preach either. (laughs) Matthew chapter number 11 and verse number 28. Jesus has been in contact with a whole bunch of different kinds of people. He's seen the diseased, the sick, the deaf, the blind. He's healed people. He's seen people in misery and starvation, people with leprosy. And he's helped a lot of people. And then in verse number 28, he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Underline the word rest. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest under your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Father, we pray that you'd bless in this time when we come to the word of God. Help us, Lord, to not be too somber to enjoy ourselves, but help us not to be too frivolous that we take away from the sincerity and the seriousness of the word of God itself and living life according to the way you'd have us to live. We pray you'd bless us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. According to a Greek legend uh, in ancient Athens, uh, the storyteller Aesop was playing childish games with a bunch of little children. And along came another man, and he laughed and jeered at Aesop and said, What are you doing wasting your time playing with those little kids? That's a waste of time. Aesop picked up his bow, you know, as in bow and arrow. He picked up his bow, unstrung the bow, and let the string drop down beside of it and laid it down. Aesop said, Now, see if you can understand what is meant by this illustration. What he was saying, he said, if, if a bow stays strung all the time, tight, it'll lose its strength and it'll eventually even break. You have to unstring your bow and let it rest. And he was right. People need rest. And I'm going to be speaking about that tonight. Uh, people are like that. We need to rest. I mean, uh, you go home on Sunday afternoon, and some of you might take a nap. You need need a little rest. Some of you work hard during the week, and you get home, and after supper, you may sit in the recliner and take a little nap. need to rest. Some of you work hard and, and go to bed early and have to get up early, and you need some rest. You can't just keep on going indefinitely without some rest. And somebody always suggests, well, we got too much to do as Christians. Man, we got a lot of stuff to do. We can rest when we get to heaven. Well, Revelation chapter 14, verse 13 does indicate that we're going to rest there. It says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. It's true that, You get to heaven, you're going to get to rest. I mean, it's not going to be, we're just not going to sit around and do nothing. We'll be doing stuff, but you won't have a physical body as a Christian anymore. You're going to have a resurrected body that won't get tired, and you won't have to take naps and rest, and you won't have to set alarm clocks anymore. And you'll be rested because we're in heaven. And my grandpa used to have a saying, and he passed it down to my dad. I wish he hadn't done that because he said, Son, while you're resting, help me unload this load of firewood while you're resting. My dad used to say that. Every time dad would come in, maybe the the yard needs to be mowed or maybe some wood needs to be stacked on the porch for the firewood or something like that. And dad would say, son, while you're resting, and when he'd say that, I thought, oh no, what's he got for me to do? (laughs) While you're resting, come and help me sand these boards. I'm building some cabinets. While you're resting. he, He wanted me to be busy. And I'm glad he put into me a work ethic that makes me realize that, Hey, we live in a world today when a lot of people don't want to work. Thank God for people who will work. Like plumber, come out and plumb and fix leaks when you've got some problems and you're not afraid to work. But is there no rest this side of heaven? I mean, are we going to labor day and night? And are we going to be stressed all the time? Are we going to feel weary and worn out? Or is there a rest for us? You ever get home from vacation And you say, man, I am wore out. I need to rest up from a vacation. (laughs) I've done that, man. I mean, if you go with Aaron Brooks sometime in Erica, they'll wear you out. You get home, man, you've got to sleep for two or three days just to get over it. And we're always looking for rest. We need rest. But what he's talking about, Jesus is talking about in this passage of Scripture, when he says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. He means a soul rest, an inner rest, a peace, a calm of spirit. Because he says in verse 29, he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. So he's talking about soul. Yeah, we get tired from working. You get tired from laboring, uh, Man, women washing dishes and cleaning floors and taking care of young and doing all that stuff, that'll wear you out. And one woman, uh, one man came home from work one day, man. He, he drove up in the driveway and there's trash boxes, garbage all over the yard. And he thought, what in the world happened? The door's unlocked and they're standing wide open. He walks in the door and the house is a wreck as well, inside and out. Man, everything just, the kitchen's a disaster clothes and shoes and everything strung up all down the stairway and and kids running and screaming and toys scattered everywhere he goes upstairs he thought boy something must have happened to my wife and he went upstairs and she's laying there in the bed reading a book and eating donuts and he said honey what uh, what happened today she said well you know when you come home from work so often and ask me what does a woman do all day anyway well, I didn't do it today. <laughs> Think women don't work at home? Boy, they do. And thank God for it. Men go to work and work hard and they need to rest. And there's nothing wrong with resting but the refreshment. Listen, the refreshment of your soul is even more critical than the rest of your body. You need soul rest. The poet... Henry David Thoreau said, Most men lead lives of quiet desperation. Quiet desperation. They might not show it, but they're weary in the soul. Many are troubled and agitated, and they seek for the rest that their soul desires. They seek for that rest in all the wrong places. Man, they're going to the nightclubs and they're going to the concerts and they're, they're going out to eat and they're going to drink and they're going to parties and going dancing and doing all this stuff, trying to find something to satisfy and please and bring rest to their soul. And when it's all said and done, they're more weary than ever before. People run here and there trying to find peace. And Jesus just so simply and calmly says, come unto me, and I'll give you rest. I like those words. Come unto me, and I will give you rest. He can do it too. There is a place of rest, and that's what I want to preach about tonight. There is a place of rest. There is a place of rest. First, notice three things with me out of this passage. Number one, the call to salvation. The call to salvation. He delivers a plea. In essence... For salvation, come unto me. There's people who are lost and, and wandering in this life because they're fallen creatures. See, nobody's born close to God. We're born separated from God. And, and we're separated by sin. Isaiah says that, that our sins have separated between us and God. And there's no exceptions. Every human being that's born is born separated from God. In the Garden of Eden, they had fellowship with God. But that was broken by the fall in the Garden of Eden. And everyone since then has inherited that sin nature. And inside, they're black. Their soul is not white anymore. Their fellowship with God is broken. And so Jesus says, if you want peace, you have to start this way. Come to me. He said, Jesus said in another place, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There is no other way. You can't get to heaven through the baptistry. You can't get to heaven by just coming to church. You can't get to heaven by just reading your Bible. You can't get to heaven by doing good deeds. You can't get to heaven just being a good neighbor and being kind to people. You can't get there. Those are all good things to do, but none of it will get you to heaven. One way, and that's through Jesus. He's the only way. He delivers a plea. Come unto me. All oh, listen, preachers have been preaching this message since uh, the beginning of time. Come unto me. God says, I want to restore that fellowship with you. I've done what's necessary. When he had Jesus die on the cross, he did what's necessary. He paid for your sins. And so the ball's on your end of the court at that point. And he says, come to me. I've done what I'm supposed to do. Now come to me. And for years and years, I would not come to him. I would not come to him. I knew he was calling. He was calling for my salvation. He wanted to forgive me of my sins and and cause me to be born again into his family. But I refused because I thought, I want to live it up and do what I want to do. I ain't got time to be a Christian. And I resisted. Until one day I came to the end of myself and he said, you can come to me today, but there is no promise of tomorrow. You may want to tomorrow, but today is the day you've got. The Bible says, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Like the steam coming out of a tea kettle, that steam comes up, drifts a little ways, and it's gone. That's the way life is. Life is very brief. As uh, as one scripture says, life is, is like the sparks that fly upward. A spark comes up, maybe when you're grinding an axe or something, or a knife, and the sparks fly up, and then they just dim and go away. And your life's that way. And so Jesus says, hey, while you've got time, come to me. I can give you rest, but you have to come. Come, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He delivers a plea and when you come to him, listen, when you come to him, your soul is weary, but when you come to him, he says, I can give you rest. He'll put a rest on those doubts you've had. There's people that's that's wondered, I wonder if I'll get to heaven or I wonder if I won't. I don't know. If you come to Jesus, you won't have to wonder and doubt anymore. Come to Jesus and He says, I'll give you rest. He that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out, He says. You can see your doubts put to rest and you can be free and rested from trying to keep all the rules and regulations. Hey, I believe God gives them some instructions to us there are some uh, there are some rules that we ought to follow and some things we ought to do commands we ought to answer but that's not how you get saved and if people are struggling they're doing stuff all the time trying to prove that they're worthy to go to heaven they're just not going to make it because there's one way and that's to cast your burden on him self-righteousness some people think that they're just good enough they ought to make it you know I mean, after all, I never robbed a bank or raped or stole or killed anybody, so surely I'll make it. No. No, all sinners are in the same boat when it comes to salvation. One sin, I don't care if you stole a dollar or a million dollars. That's sin. One sin will cause you to be in hell as much as a million sins would. All we like sheep gone astray that's what the bible says there's none righteous no not one for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and so when we come to him through his invitation when we come to be made free so we can rest boy there's a burden lifted off you see the burden that we carry before we get saved is that burden of sin we know we can't get to heaven with that sin it's like a weight on our shoulders and when we come to him he says I'll, I'll take your weight I'll take your sin I died for it on Calvary. Come to me and I'll give you rest. In, in Isaiah chapter 64, verse number 6, the Bible says, But we are all as an unclean thing, all. And all our righteousness are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. And then in Isaiah 53, 5, he says, But he... Speaking of Jews, Jesus, listen to this. We're all like filthy rags, and the best we can do—the greatest and kindest and best and most valuable acts that we can do—are like filthy rags when it comes to trying to be saved. Nothing. Going, I mean, a filthy rag wouldn't impress God, and it wouldn't impress me or you either. And our sin is like filthy rags. And then in Isaiah 53, 5, he says, He, Jesus, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Listen, friend, it's because of what he did on the cross of Calvary. You don't deserve to go to heaven. You don't deserve to go to heaven. You don't deserve to go to heaven. The preacher doesn't deserve to go, go to heaven. Nobody deserves to go to heaven because we've not done anything and can't do anything to earn it. But because Jesus suffered in our place, that substitutionary death, woo, he died in our place and he took my sins upon him, him. And he died that day so I could be saved. You see, there's nothing I can do but accept him. I can receive Him. I can trust Him as my Savior. And it's, listen, friend, it happens in a point of time. There's none of this stuff about gradually becoming a Christian. You don't gradually get born as a baby from your mother's womb, and you don't gradually get born as a Christian. The Bible says that a man must be born again. And the way you're born again, it happens at one point in time on the timeline. It doesn't happen a little bit last month, and a little bit this month, and a little bit next month. You're saved, bang, all at once. <laughs> at one point in time. It's the moment you realize you're a lost sinner and you need the Savior. And when you say, I believe you died for me, Lord Jesus, I trust you, then you're born again, saved. And I dare say that there's a lot of church members all across America and around the world we're depending on things that they've done and, and hoping that God will give them another chance maybe when they get to heaven that He'll say, oh, okay, I'll let you in. As, no, it's, it's either the blood or it's nothing. The blood of Christ or nothing. Then He declares a promise here to those who come for rest. You're given peace with God. Peace with God. You know, the Bible declares that before we get saved, we're enemies of God. Yeah. Before you get saved, you're an enemy of God. Because of your sin. And then when you get saved, the Bible indicates that you have peace with God. Now later on, you get the peace of God. But getting saved gives you the peace with God. You're not enemies anymore. That takes a big burden off. There's calmness concerning your salvation once you realize the burden was on him to pay for all of my sins when we stop, and we who are Christians ought to take time and say, You know, I am so blessed because I didn't deserve to go to heaven, but He saved me. Amen. Oh, how precious. Lay your head on your pillow at night and just go to sleep. Because if you, if you don't wake up, you'll open your eyes in heaven. That takes a load of care off of your soul. If you don't rest for your soul, come to Jesus. Number two. The command to surrender. Now, as a person comes to Jesus, that's salvation. But then once you come to Him for salvation, you're safe. You've got heaven. You've got a title deed to the glory land. But then He wants you to surrender as well. Look in verse number uh, 29 in our text. He says, take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. He wants us to surrender to his control. Now here's where a lot of Christians miss it right here. A lot of Christians want to be Lone Ranger Christians. They get saved and then just do things the way they want to do and go where they want to go and be what they want to be. But the Bible declares that we are bought with a price and we're to glorify God in our body. And so the way we live after we get saved has a lot to do with whether we have peace and rest or not. And if we put his yoke on now I grew up in the country <clears throat> and uh, I had a bunch of old people that lived at Lunenburg. I, I was from the big city of Gid. We had probably 20 people in our city. <laughs> and, and my folks all came from Lunenburg and uh, they had maybe 15 people. And a lot of those people were old. I mean, they grew up from the time of the Civil War on. And uh, they had goats and cows and animals around their place. And they had have a yoke on them. And they just made a makeshift yoke it was made out of an old tree limb that was a forked limb you know it's kind of a y shape and they'd cut that limb off and they'd stick that y up around the neck of a, of an animal and then take a piece of old baling wire and tie across the back side of it across the y and then that would, that was a yoke and they couldn't stick their head through the fence because those goats and and cows they'd try to get out of those little barbed wire fences they were just Nothing anyway. They're real weak, and so that would keep them sticking their head and trying to eat the grass through the through the fence, keep them running away. And then sometimes they would yoke. In Bible times, they would yoke two animals together, and they were yoked together so they could work together. They plow together, and and they were pulling the same weight, the same burden, because they had that yoke that bridged them together, and they had to work together. And when we get saved. When we surrender to Christ, that means that we're getting in the yoke with Him. Jesus said, put my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. And that means we're in a partnership with Him. And so, where He goes, I've got that yoke on my neck if I'm surrendered, and wherever He goes, I have to go with Him because we're laboring together. A lot of people say, well, me and Jesus got our own thing going. No, you don't. You may think you do. But He's either You're either with Him or you're not. And you don't just do whatever you want to do. You know how we decide how we're going to do something? We listen to His Holy Spirit and read His Holy Word and we go in the direction that He's going and we're working together with Him in a partnership. (laughs) He says in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. You know what that means? (laughs) When you got saved... He came in in the form of the Holy Spirit. And so you're yoked. You may not be surrendered, but you're yoked. And when you surrender, you're going in the same direction. The Holy Spirit says, come on, let's go. We're going here. And you try to pull off to the side. No, I'm going in this beer joint. And the Holy Spirit says, no, no, can't go in there. We've got to go this way. And he pulls you away. Uh, you're, you're trying to do something you ought not to do. And the Holy Spirit guides you in a different direction. You're working in a partnership. You're walking along as a surrendered Christian, and you're going this way, and you see somebody over there that needs the gospel, and you ought to tell them how to be saved, and you try to steer away from them. the Holy Spirit nudges you and says, "Nope, nope, let's go over here and talk to that guy. He needs the Lord." That's working in partnership with the Holy Spirit, with Jesus. You're in a relationship, and you're in a partnership, and when you're that far, you're in a good fellowship. Christ liveth in me. That means he moved in and he wants to live his life through you. He says this is where we ought to go. Those are things we ought to avoid. He's living in, when we surrender, he's living in us and through us. My car, oh, it's my wife's car. (laughs) She's got a Toyota Camry that's got, I, I, it's either lane assist or lane follow. You know, it's you're driving down the road, and it senses, it's got cameras on the thing, and it senses when you get too close to the yellow line, and if you're not paying attention, you know, you're texting like you're not supposed to do, <laughs> or you're just looking off, gawking, and you start drift over to the yellow line, that car will beep, beep, and it'll yank the steering wheel back away from the yellow line. It's trying to save your neck. I, I thought at first, I don't want my car trying to steer itself. I mean, that's crazy. I, I do know where I want to go. But that car is designed for, that's a safety feature, that if you get too close to the yellow line, if you're meeting a car and you have a head-on collision, your chances of survival might be pretty slim. But if that car yanks you back and you immediately feel it in your hands, you feel that steering wheel going back the other way. Now, you can overcome it. It's not designed to keep you from doing your own will. If you, hes- if you hesitate just for a minute and say, nah, I want to go across the yellow line, and you swing it away, it'll let you do that. But it'll gently tug you back. See, the Holy Spirit, when Jesus lives in you and He's your partner, He'll gently tug you away from that which is wrong. He'll gently tug you towards that which is right. And if you, if you desire to go ahead, He'll let you use your free will. But the disaster will be yours when you overcome his desire to yank you away from the yellow line. Partnership with Christ. Number three. Who would ever think I could get to point number three? I only got three points. I'm there already and it's just quarter to seven. I feel guilty for trying to get finished too soon. Not too guilty, but a little guilty. Number three, the challenge to serve. Look, let's read verse 29, the last part. And ye shall find rest under your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Before I got saved, I thought, man, it's going to be too troublesome trying to be a Christian. If I get to be a Christian, I'll have to quit my drinking, and I'll have to quit my carousing and my cussing and all of this stuff. And You know, I just want to do what I want to do. But... The Lord says, it's going to be easier on you to go with me. If you do it my way, it's going to be a lot easier because you won't wake up in the middle of the night with a guilty conscience and your pit of your stomach burning because you knew you did something you shouldn't have done. The Lord leads you in the right direction. You don't wake up on Sunday morning with a deep hangover because you listened to Him. He says, my yoke is easy. I thought it would be burdensome to be a Christian. But I found it to be much more peaceful and calm and rewarding than ever before when I was lost. I enjoy being a Christian. Some people think, well, boy, to be a Christian, it just seems like it's so restrictive and you can't have any fun. Hey, I've had more fun since I've been saved than I ever had before. And this is, this is the kind of fun that I don't wake up feeling bad about. I love serving the Lord. And when we're surrendered to Him and we're committed to Him and we serve Him... Serving him is easy; it's not difficult. There's a pattern in service that we're to follow. In verse twenty-nine, he says, "And ye shall find rest under your souls." He says, to, "Verse twenty-nine: Learn of me, learn of me." And the more you learn about the Lord, the easier it is to serve Him. It gets easier, and there's peace in our service. There's peace and rest i going to serve him faithfully. Easy. It says easy. The word easy, his, his yoke is easy. It means that it's not burdensome. It's not cumbersome. It's not irritating. It fits well. You know, a yoke that fits well would be a lot better than one that's too tight, don't you think? <laughs> and he's, Jesus says, my yoke is easy. He's not trying to strangle you. He's not trying to keep you from having fun. He said, if you serve me, you're going to enjoy it. There's joy, fulfillment fulfillment that can't be found in any other way of life. And there's places to serve him. That's why we have church. There's places to serve. Somebody plays the piano. That's serving God. Somebody leads singing. That's serving God. Some of these men stand at the door and greet guests as they come in. That's serving God. Some people clean this uh, auditorium the serving God. There's, there's ladies like Brenda and my wife come every Sunday morning and try to get the windows washed, uh, uh, what do you call that stuff, Windex on the windows and get all the little grubby fingerprints off of it that, uh, that your little children got on it. <laughs> and they clean up. They go in the bathrooms and swab out those toilets and, and they mop the floors and sweep and vacuum and clean up the kitchen where somebody left a mess behind. Now, none of you did that, I know. Uh, probably had intruders, elves, gnomes, or something like that. Comes in here and messes up the church kitchen at night. I know none of our church members would do that. And so there's all kinds of places to serve. You know what working in the nursery is? That's a blessed place to serve. Those little children, you think all all those ladies do in the nursery is just kind of keep them killing each other? That's pretty difficult in itself. They ought to get paid battle pay. But you know what they do? They sing songs with them. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. They sing about Jesus to them. They read Bible stories to them. Now, some of, some of them can't talk yet. They're not big enough. But they're gradually learning how to, what it means to pray, what it means to hear the word Jesus. They're learning. And then they get in our Sunday school Classes and there's teachers in there that have studied and prayed and got ready to teach those kids that come into the Sunday school class. That's serving God. There's people who come and straighten these pews, make them straight rows, and that's serving God. And uh, Joshua keeps the, the baptistry, and that's serving God. You say, you know, cleaning out a baptistry, serving God? Yeah, somebody has to do it. It needs to be done, and doing it is a service to God. There's people who do all sorts of things around here that might seem minor, and yet they serve God. You know how some people serve God? Some people are not able to physically do what others do. They pray for our ministry. I told you this morning about when uh, one of the widow ladies I was visiting with yesterday I just mentioned to her, man, our, our van's been broke down, and we're having to get it repaired, and the plumbing busted, and we're having to get that repaired. And, and I didn't say anything. I didn't ask her for anything. Didn't didn't mention that that she needed to do anything. I just went there to visit and be a blessing to her. But before I left, she handed me a check, said, put that in on the plumbing. You know what she was doing? Serving God. She said, that's my church. I'm not able to be there all the time, but that's my church. I want to help. There's people that do all sorts of things to help serve the Lord, to make sure that the ministry goes on here. There's people that go out and sweep the sidewalks. And uh, we'll have work day pretty soon where we prune the, the uh, shrubbery along the front of the building. and <coughs> Maybe we'll <coughs> have some folks to go around, pick up the limbs and stuff that's in the way of mowing that'll have to be picked up. For the first time in the spring, through the winter, we just gathered debris, and some of the people from the apartments walk across here, and they throw debris around and move stuff around. And before we mow, we have to. I ran over with my bush hog. I ran over an 8 by 16 concrete block with my bush hog last year. And, man, you talk about, wham! Man, I thought my whole tractor's blown up and somebody had carried a concrete block down here. I guess it was wet, and they didn't want to step in the mud, so they got one of our concrete blocks carried. It seemed like a lot of work to do to keep getting one footstep in the mud. <laughs> they carried a big old 40-pound block down there and threw it in the, in the ditch, where, and the grass grew up around it. I didn't know it was there, and I ran over to the bush hog. wonder it hadn't broken a blade. But those things have to be picked up. You know what people are doing cleaning that stuff up? They're serving God. Some people pray for our ministry. Some people invite folks to come to church. What are they doing? Some people will be handing out those Easter cards. Is there any of those up here? I don't see them. Uh, We've got those Easter cards and uh, the uh, friend day. We're going to have friend day the 24th. And, and there's people that take some of those cards, the uh, invitation cards with them, and, and they'll hand them out to invite people to come to those days so they can hear about the Lord and maybe get saved what are they doing when they're handing out those cards? That seems like a, a minimal thing to do. They're serving the Lord. When somebody gives somebody else the gospel, they say, man, Jesus, Jesus died for you, and he'd save you if you'd let him. What are they doing? They're serving the Lord. Somebody passes out a gospel tract. What are they doing? They're serving the Lord. Can you see all the gazillion ways, and we had not even started yet, a gazillion ways that people can serve the Lord? And you know what that does? When you go home at night, maybe you've had the pleasure of leading somebody to the Lord. And you go home at night, you put your head on your pillow and you just feel some satisfaction and some rest and some peace knowing that God used you in some, at least some small way to get some soul into heaven. That's serving the Lord. That peace, that longing in our soul that we, that we so desperately need to have satisfied, it comes by surrendering to His service. God loves us. and He doesn't want us to work because He couldn't do everything by Himself. I mean, He's got a gazillion angels in heaven. He can send them to do the work, but He chose you and me, and that's a pretty special thing. And the more we serve Him, the more peace, comfort, satisfaction, fulfillment we'll have inside. Men don't have to lead lives of desperation. We can have satisfaction. We can have rest. And it starts by coming to Christ, answering his call. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. When we come to him for salvation, it's a done deal. He said, I don't know if I could hold out faithful. I don't know if I could be a good Christian. I I, I was thinking the same way. But see, that's not what gets you saved. It's his job to do the saving. It's your, your job to come. Come unto me, he said. And if you'll come to him for salvation, he'll give it to you no strings attached but you ought to serve Him because you love Him let's pray together Father we love you tonight thank you for the privilege of just being a servant for you Lord each of us can have that satisfaction of soul that rest that we desperately need by knowing our sins are forgiven when we come to you for salvation by knowing that our consecration our commitment to you brings satisfaction and when we serve you. Lord, I pray that you'd bless us tonight. Help us to find our rest in you above everything else. Our heads are bowed and-